This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. Thanks so much for being here. As a leader, you understand that you rise to the top by excelling at doing the work. But once you're in charge, you have to recalibrate your focus to think about your team, your organization. Uh, and largely, it's so much about relationships, right? First and foremost, as a leader, it's the relationship you have with yourself. So these are some of the topics that are addressed in Rachel Ryder's book, who you are is how you lead. And Rachel's my guest today. Rachel is a master coach. She's the founder of MetaWorks. And she had a distinguished career in HR and has since coached hundreds of business leaders at companies like GitHub and Okta, helping them to become high-functioning and self-optimized. Uh, Rachel, we have a lot to talk about today. So welcome to The Authority. Ross, thanks so much for having me. It's really good to be here. I wanted to start right with the title of the book, because I feel like that's kind of a thesis right there, right? Mm -hmm. Who you are is how you lead. Can you start us there by just talking about what's the meaning behind that and and what you are proposing? Sure. I'd love to start with actually what it is not. I so often hear folks say, that's just the way I am. This Mm -hmm. is who I am. And, And leave it at that. It's kind of like a way to to not take accountability or look at yourself. And the premise of my book, Who You Are is How You Lead, is really about this idea that in the moment, who you are in that moment, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're happy, if you're excited, that's how you show up as a leader. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying and what this book is talking about is it's so important to understand what's going on inside you, how you respond to circumstances, how you respond to people on your team, because the clearer you are in understanding that, the better you can be in charge of it, because that's what's going to inform how you show up, how you lead. Right. And, and you have a, of course, a particular approach to coaching around a lot of neurological processes, which we'll talk about. And so 
certain things may or may not come up in your approach, but related to this, one of the things that often is is part of discussions in various coaching contexts that some of our listeners may or may not be familiar with is kind of looking at the distinction between who you are, quote unquote, or who you think you are and who you're being, right? And mm-hmm. that, that there are a lot of, as you said, sometimes that can be used as either uh, a pessimistic phrase or an excuse or, well, I this is who I am. And that that indicates, well, I can't change or I can't do things that way. And and sometimes there's that thought about, well, let's start by doing things differently. And then maybe you will feel like you're becoming a different person. Maybe at the very least, you'll feel like you're learning how to function differently in whatever role you're in particularly for those who are interested, right? And we'll talk about coachability, <laughs> of course, as we go on here. But, you know, for leaders who are saying, well, I want to do well in my role, I'm open to change, but I just don't think I can change, or I just think I'm a certain way to start by saying, well, let's think about how how are you showing up? How are you being? How are you interacting with people around you? Let's set aside who you quote unquote think you are, your personality, all those things will will get to them right over time. But because it is that 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 initial hurdle to get over is okay, I have somebody who's saying I'm I'm interested in this. I, I want to be better. I want to be great, but is it really possible for me? Or as you say, once you get into that leadership position, quote unquote, whatever that is in your organization the things that got you there are different than the things you have to do once you're there. Of course, some people are going to experience doubt. Some are just not going to know what they don't know, but how does that change once? Okay. Now I'm in, I'm a VP, I'm a chief executive, I'm a, a school leader, I'm a whatever. And now my job, the things that that caught the eye of of the people Mm -hmm. that put me in this position are no longer the things that are going to serve me. Yeah, it's so confusing to a lot of folks. I just want to normalize that, Mm -hmm. that you step into these larger roles because you've done so well at executing. And no one talks about the real job description. That's actually one of the first chapters of the book. I have a, a client once who said to me, why didn't anyone tell me it was all about relationships? You know, he was this VP of engineering. He kept getting promoted because he was really technically skilled. The higher he got in the organization, the more he alienated folks because he was so determined to push the, the quality of the product that he was trying to ensure through instead of understand the relationships around him. Because at the highest level, that means that he actually has to work through other people and not just the other people on his team, but the people next to him. Because those folks have a stake in what he's doing and a say. And so at at the highest levels of an organization as a leader, it becomes very disorienting because very few people are saying, hey, I don't want you to pay attention to the goal. I want you to pay attention to the relationships to get you to the goal. And that's the vital piece there. Underpinning relationships. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their EdTech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. 
Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, it's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than one million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit IXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's IXL.com forward slash BE. Relationships are interpersonal skills, interpersonal competencies. How teachable are those skills in your opinion? I have, no, I'm, this is a, a small subset of thousands of leaders, not millions, but I have never met a leader who couldn't do it if they wanted to. That's the piece. Someone needs to step into this work and be like, I want to look at myself to make sure I can change what's going on around me. The places where I see it is unsuccessful when that leader steps into the coaching and is saying, and that person's wrong and this person's at fault and they're, I'm never going to be able to do this if none of them change. That's not fertile ground for a coaching relationship. Someone needs to step in and be like, okay, I get that I can't control my environment, but I can control me. Let's take a look at that. Consistently, someone walks into my virtual office and they will change profoundly. And then their environment will change. It's so cool, but you have to start with you. And so anytime someone's willing to do that, I'm not in the business of guaranteeing, but I would do close to that. You will see change when you show up that way. That certainly touches on the question, what makes a leader coachable, right? And particularly for those out there who maybe, maybe they've had coaching in the past and they didn't feel like they got the results they wanted and, and it's time to reflect on, well, maybe it was something I was doing, right? Or maybe those who haven't had coaching before and, and kind of want to wrap their head around, okay, what do I have to do or how do I have to prepare myself in order to make sure that I'm ready to improve, ready to get results, uh, open to the experience? How, how do you kind of identify once you're working with somebody, the, the qualities that are making them either very coachable, very willing to right, engage in the process and get a lot out of it versus those who maybe eventually get there, but but may at least start out kind of creating um, a lot of, of barriers and inhibitors to, to really experiencing growth? I would say three things. I would say self-reflection. Hmm. What did I do recently? Self-awareness. Oh, I noticed that I did X, Y, and Z recently and curiosity oh what was happening that made me do that how did I impact those around my, me and what is going on 
when you have self-reflection, self-awareness, and curiosity, the situation and circumstances you're in is ripe for change. Now, there's a couple of things I want to kind of qualify there. Sometimes you are in such a difficult circumstance that the learning and the self-accountability and the change isn't worth it. That's up to the individual to decide, is it time to step away or is it time to lean in and really take this as a learning opportunity for myself? Once you get clear on that, and I think the clarity on that is when you feel like you've done everything you can and it still feels untenable. That's when I feel like you're allowed to step away and say, you know what, life's going to hand me another learning opportunity. Peace be with you. I'm on to the next thing. Right. So, but then when it, and I would say, if you find this being a consistent issue in the next three things, then I'd say, maybe it isn't the toxic situation. Maybe it is you. Maybe you need a different coach. But when you are starting to look at yourself and understand how is my behavior impacting those around me? I was just actually, I, we have a coach on our team and I provide supervision to all of our coaches. And we were talking about a client of hers who's seen a profound level of change. This client was very senior in a very large organization. And the feedback that she was getting was she was showing up very frazzled and stressed and taking on too much, not empowering others, but then being critical. There was this kind of hero mentality, but then resentment and frazzledness around it. And through her coach, through her work with her MetterWorks coach, it's so cool. Recently, she showed up and she's like, I just realized that I don't have infinite capacity. And that is a good thing. And it took her a while to look inside. What is that patterning for her to realize, no, actually my capacity is finite. And that is a blessing because then I need to appropriately prioritize. I need to empower people on my team. I need to strengthen my relationships with my team members so that they can get what they need done and I can step out of the weeds. Yeah, yeah, that relates to there's um, a a process um, around teaching that a lot of our educator listeners will be familiar with, gradual release of responsibility, which is transitioning from more of a teacher-led approach to having the student take more ownership and mm-hmm. and kind of helping them build up their capacity or right, take ownership of their learning over time and, and that what that process looks like and similar thing with kind of that delegation okay I'm in a leadership role and the reason that I got into this role right is because I have a, a lot of expertise at doing these different things however my job description has changed and How do I create the conditions whereby, number one, I am emphasizing and prioritizing building team capacity, right, and giving them opportunities to keep improving so that they can take on those responsibilities, but also aware of of my ability to create the environment for that to happen, because so often, sometimes maybe it doesn't happen because I'm in the leadership role and I haven't shifted my mindset accordingly. And I'm still doing the job that I used to do. And I'm, I'm not doing the job that I should be doing. Sometimes it could be, I'm just failing to exhibit trust or to put myself in their shoes and understand that they want this growth opportunity. But other times it's okay. We feel like we're always fighting some tight deadline or some other kind of urgent conditions and 
it's easier for me to just do this myself and get it done uh, because if I have them trying to learn, it doesn't quite go right. And then this thing happens, that thing happens. So there's also a thing to say, like, you have to stick with it <laughs> and you, ha- you have to be mindful. You have to be persevering. You have to stick with it and you have to do everything you can do to create the conditions to ensure that you're strengthening team capacity. And then in the long run, it will serve you versus those short-term fixes that seem like they're easier, but really you have limited capacity, you're burning out and you're not maximizing your team. Yeah, I love to say that the best and worst part of relationships is that you can't break them very easily. And so keep coming back and keep iterating and keep communicating and experimenting about what does it mean to empower someone else? How much do they understand what success looks like? Does it align with their interests? That ongoing conversation is vital to being able to strengthen your team and your relationships there. And and so really the book talks about how to understand what's going on in yourself if you're not having those relationships. You know, it's leadership one-on-one and I would imagine education is the same where you orient towards the person even if the content is what you're teaching. And that's the same when running a team. And so it's so important if you're not doing that to understand what's going on inside of you that's keeping you from having an important conversation. That's the first step in order to be able to move forward effectively. Yeah, if so, given what we talked about so far, it's making me wonder, you know, let's say we we have a listener who is at a, whatever the highest level leadership position is, but of course, within that, there's, there's other management and leadership positions and they may be evaluating who's ready to move into what role given that the relationships are going to be the core of the leadership skills i mean is the way that we are selecting leaders correct i mean if if they're being chosen based on different competencies than the ones that they need to use when they're in a leadership role should we be rethinking even how we're evaluating and determining who should be taking on these positions? I think that's a great question. One that I think the tech world continues to ask. I do a lot of work in the tech world Mm -hmm. and it's becoming clear that some people can get promoted as an individual contributor to a very senior position because they love to just write code. Uh versus the person who gets promoted because they are the right fit to manage a large team and communicate well and give feedback um, in a good. But I do think it's worth a conversation if you are running an organization to really look at what is it? What's the message you're sending when you're promoting someone? What behavior is being rewarded? And what are you actually looking for in that role? Because that's the only way you're going to set your people up for success. Besides hiring us, we're here to help too. If that's already happened and you've got people in roles that need a little help. Right. Yeah, the, the tech world is an interesting one. It's having spoken to, to various people there and and understanding, right, that depending on um, your skills and interests as an employee, you can opt to not become a, a people manager and, and without loss of compensation right and and i've had people express well i don't want to do that because that seems like more work to me and it's not worth more money i think "Hmm, that's very different from how most organizations work 
which could there could be some positives to it to say well if the only way to advance in an organization is to become a manager of people and you don't feel like that's really where your heart is or what you want to do then that probably leads to problems for organizations right on the other hand i don't know does it create challenges to have a lot of individual contributors who are very highly compensated and who aren't contributing to teams in that way. It's an interesting, we would have to go case by case probably and look at those things. But in any case. Well, one thing I would want to say to that, what you're saying is there is something that I would say that maybe wouldn't be a 50-50 split, but it's pretty high up in the percentage of people who presume they wouldn't want to be a leader of folks because of certain things. Mm -hmm. We actually have a client now who's already very high up in leadership and she's inheriting a large team. And she said to her coach recently, she's just like, I can't handle more needy folks. It's just, I feel at the end of my rope. And in that statement actually was a deep belief system of, I don't know how to draw interpersonal boundaries. And I feel like their needs become my needs. Now that's very different from, can I manage people? She's very good at it. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is it's so important as you're thinking about being a leader is what is the struggle that you're having? And maybe it's related to your own belief system. And so that's the place actually her and her coach worked was, oh, what am I responsible for here in terms of my people's happiness? Right. I cannot be responsible for other people's happiness. I can be responsible to help them know what success looks like in their role, help them feel seen and heard. Those are very different things. And so one thing I do want to call out is that sometimes we bring presumptions into this leadership role about what we should be doing. And those presumptions warrant an examination because actually, if we look closely, maybe they're not all so true. And so, yes, I agree. Case by case, it's important to look at. And there might be an opportunity here to check your own belief systems. Yeah. And, and, I, and I certainly our individual perceptions of our qualifications or preparedness right, for leadership can be affected by things that are quite arbitrary. Right? As we talked about in the, the tech world, the way that job titles may work and roles and even teams where, okay, here's a team of six people that work together on this core function and they all have the same title. Nobody's technically in charge of that team, but there might be somebody who's the most, there might be somebody who just naturally takes on a lot of leadership roles, but they may not see themselves as qualified for a leadership role in the context of that industry because they think, well, I've never done it. Well, maybe there's a company that's not in the tech industry, but that has technology teams that might say, well, you have exactly the experience we want, right? And are you interested in that? Is that something that you might want? To? You have all of the experience of having done it, of even having done it even the harder way of having gained leadership through influence or through relationships, right? Or through being good at your job. And once you go over here to a, a company that operates a little bit differently, whatever your supposed title was over here no longer matters. Right? It matters how can you speak to the objectives you would have in that role and what you might want to do. It might 
exactly hit on all these things we're talking about. Well, when, in our team, these are the things we did, right? We had, we were successful because we had those relationships and there was nobody there who could just tell everybody what to do and they had to do it. We had to come to solutions and consensus and all of those things. And I guess that, that leads me into what do you find when you have, you know, leaders that come to you and they have certain pain points, things that they're challenged by, or that they want to improve, which, what, what comes up most often there and how, how accurately are they typically diagnosing the underlying causes? And I mean, do they usually say, I know exactly what it is or come to you and say, look, I'm challenged in these ways and, and I need you to help me figure it out. I would say usually every, and that's for all of us, usually the presenting mm -hmm. issue isn't the underlying cause. Right. That's why we seek help and works with usually privately held companies with eight to 10 figures in revenue and its most senior leaders. And so often the clientele is coming with, something's not working. We've got a very successful company, but I can't enjoy my success. I feel like I'm dying inside. I'm exhausted. I can't leverage this beautiful team that I've built or my team isn't getting along. So the presenting problem often feels confusing because things are going well, but there's an issue that feels fairly high stakes and is impacting the individual's well-being. And usually the underlying cause is exactly what I'm talking about. An understanding of our inner world and these deeply held belief systems that are creating conflict within the organization. So like I said, that, that leader who was like, oh, more people, just more right. needs that I need to fill. The belief system is, oh, I am responsible for all those people's needs. There was another leader that I was working with where she felt like her calendar, she, the, the culture of the company was equality and, and making sure everyone's available. There were, yes, there were reporting structures, but you could reach out to anyone. And she, as the CEO felt she should be able to be reached out to too. And so her calendar was just an open book for people to uh -huh. um, schedule time. And, and that felt like a very important cultural pillar that was deeply disrupting her ability to right. run the company. Right. And so one of the things we really examined is, well, how do you, how can you exemplify that in a way to hold up the cultural pillar, but also run your company with your vision and your ability to set strategy and step out of the weeds and really allow this company to flourish? And so, so often what I see is the presenting issue is, is really a byproduct of these deep belief, deeply held belief systems that, to your point, had served very well. So not just explicitly you execute, you execute, you do well, you get rewarded, you get promoted, but also those inner belief systems of if I push to my max, it will get done. Doesn't matter that I push to my max, but all of a sudden you've been pushing to your max so much that you, you can barely get out of bed. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, MyFlex Learning. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it totally worth exploring. There's more time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students, and the increased engagement that comes along with it, dedicated time for intervention, and overall, as school leaders, it provides you and your faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But 
The implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold you back from ensuring students make good use of their time. That's why I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with the seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. If you want to see for yourself, visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. You'll learn all about MyFlex Learning, what it can do for your school, and you'll receive a $500 off offer for your first year. Check it out. I have a CEO who came to me recently and was like, I literally can't even bring myself to look at my calendar. This is a multi-million dollar company. And so one of the things we're examining is she has never created time for herself. And it's confusing. That's what got this company so successful. Is it okay to do that now? And so that's what we're examining. How do you honor that golden nugget of wisdom that's gotten you here? And just not let it be in charge anymore, where it doesn't have to come to the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something I would like our listeners to take away, particularly if they are unfamiliar with coaching and haven't done it before, is that there's so many insights and eventual decisions, right, that are it it's situational things change things evolve right it's not about okay which is the right thing to do and which is the wrong thing to do I mean, sometimes something is clearly wrong but usually it's okay each of these is objectively a good option but which is the best one for us right i you know work with a variety of professionals on, on performance coaching around their own career and a lot of them start with the pain point of I think it's time for me to leave my job. I don't exactly know what I want to do next, but I think it's time to go. And that's fine, but but we don't start by assuming that that's definitely the way it's going to go, right? We take a step back and look at everything and what's happening with work in your career and what are you interested in? How's it going? What's good? What's bad? What about other areas of life? What are your goals? These things, okay. And sometimes it's like, Yes, there's no way to get to what your goals are from where you are. Or sometimes there's just so much baggage associated with it for whatever reason that the only way to clear that out is, but sometimes it's okay, you can actually create the conditions for what you're interested in within where you are, but you just need to understand what's impacting you. Or sometimes it's, but it's kind of saying that what may have been the best thing before might not be the best thing anymore. What might be the best thing next is different. What's best for your company, for you as an individual, the thing that served you well to get where you are is the thing that's going to prevent you from getting where you want to go. And it's time to shift. And that's, I, mean, I think that's part of why it's such a helpful process is because it's continuous, right? It's not okay, let's sit down, let's get all the answers. And now you know exactly what to do forever because organizations are living, they change, things are different. 
sometimes just it's different people come and go and now we need to operate a little differently and an organization of course that continues to thrive is one that changes with that I, I wanted to talk about the thing that really sparks those insights which is the questions right mm-hmm. it's asking the right questions it's it's those prompts those things that even in the circumstances maybe where a leader might sit down with you and say everything's great I don't I don't have anything to talk about (laughs) that those right prompts can kind of start the wheels turning you when it's hard and I know that I think you make a kind of differentiation between a focus on thinking and thought patterns that's common in a lot of coaching and and habitual and emotional responses and so from your approach what where do you focus and what are some of the the questions that would align to that where you would start and how and why do you contrast that with what might be more common among a lot of coaches yeah, so myself and my coach are trained as somatic experiencing practitioners. And the premise of that is that there's a great deal held in your nervous system. And that habitual responses actually live in your neural pathways and not your brain. And so when your brain and your body are at odds, your brain is like, I need to go to the gym. And your body's like, nope, I'm not getting out of bed. Who usually wins? Your body. If your body doesn't usually win, you're doing a great job. Maybe you don't need coaching to go to the gym, but that premise is taken into leadership. When you have in your mind, if you're at the level where you're like, oh, I know it's probably unhelpful to be screaming at my direct reports right now. And yet physically you cannot help yourself because you're frustrated. That's what lives in your body. And so our work is to help unravel those habitual responses in your neural pathways. And so often we need to facilitate a conversation between your head and your emotional experience, between your head and your felt physical experience, because when that conversation happens, that's when behavior shifts. And so often when a client is talking to me about a frustration about something they're having with their their team or how they're showing up with their team, the first place we'll go is, when did, what did you start noticing in your body as this happened? my jaw started to clench, my heart started to beat. And that kind of tracking starts the steps to changing the behavior. But first we have to cultivate an awareness around it. Yeah. And I mean, as that uh, process goes on, I mean, we're starting with the openness to change, right? To engage in some difficult conversation, to think about some things that are, not necessarily easy that are that are going to require shifts and then as the process continues it i mean a huge part of it is the accountability piece, right and having a coach that holds you accountable for making those changes that as a leader of course having accountability among your team and you write about compassionate accountability and which reminds me a lot of conversations we've had in some previous episodes sort of around the upside of accountability on it which is like accountability as a word typically comes with some negative connotations maybe some negative emotional responses to what it is and and 
and how it can be used as a cudgel. But on the flip side, that accountability can also be the way of demonstrating authentic care for the other person, their outcomes, their improvement, et cetera. We've talked about this with teachers and students, right? How a teacher who in the right way, passionate way, holds their students accountable for their work is showing that they actually are invested in that student's growth, that they're that they're not just like turning a blind eye and saying, whatever, do whatever you want to do. You know, same thing here, right? With leaders and and it has to be done in the right way. And, and it's about what are the objectives? Why are we having accountability? What's it for? What are we trying to do that enables, I think, probably someone to develop the right approach. Yeah, there's an exercise I really like to do around this to help someone, like you said, not use accountability as a self-criticism tool, but as a curiosity. And what I do is I have a client who kind of affectionately calls it having a summit. And it's the different parts within you, the different voices of what's going on. So my client is very self-critical and the accountability piece is really with the self-criticism immobilizes her to action. And so really the accountability piece is to say, hey, this isn't working. So let's get curious about why so that we can help you actually mobilize. And so what we do is we really have the different parts within her her, her self-critical voice is a ninja turtle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her petulant person that wants to do exactly what the critical voice says not to is this little girl. And so she brings them all to the table to have a conversation. And so there's some playfulness here and some compassionate curiosity of, hey, what's going on? And what is the wisdom that each of these have so that we can listen and make a decision without letting one be in charge? And so I think when you bring that curiosity to what's going on. Why can't I bring myself, coming back to my client who can barely bring herself to look at her calendar in the morning. Why can't I do that? What's happening for me here? It's that exhaustion, that deep burnout. Okay. What's going on that that's led to that. And that's happening in this moment, instead of just berating yourself for not being able to do it. Yeah. And, and, and being tuned into the relationship is, is critical with the accountability piece one because it it is how you establish credibility to have the accountability right and i'm only going to allow people to hold me accountable for things that i respect them and their intentions and my relationship to them otherwise i don't really need to listen to them but also because there is variability in what's that next step after we've failed an accountability test on something right and determining okay what is going to best serve this person next you know perhaps you've been through this with particular clients as a coach certainly where let's say we had an agreement that the client was going to do a particular homework assignment or whatever before the next time we met and they didn't do it. And now I need to determine what serves this per person best. Is it, you know what, 
I'm not coaching you anymore until you're going to show more commitment to the process? Is it just giving them a second chance, right? And different people, for different people, it's a different thing that's going to get them to where they need to be. And then in organizations, same thing, something slips, it falls, it doesn't quite go right. And now I need to make a decision about what's the, what is going to help this person best next time. If I don't have a relationship with them and I don't understand them and I don't really know, then I just have maybe a one size fits all. And I end up having a lot of attrition of talent or I end up making completely wrong decisions about what goes next. I mean, I guess compassion without relationship is it's something a little different. Well, um, and I think in all those, yeah, I, well, and I think in all of those circumstances, the first question is what happened here? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm confused. I thought that the, the idea was X. Right. Why happened? Help me understand what, what happened. Did you understand the assignment? What got in the way for you? I, I really like to have the golden rule of three that you have that conversation three times. What happened here? What's getting in the way? Let me clarify my expectation, my definition of success. And you tell me if that tracks with yours. And on the third time, there's consequence conversation. Mm -hmm. But the first couple of times, I guarantee you will be often surprised by what the answer is. Ooh, I totally misunderstood that that's the definition of success in this. Or I really struggled because... I've been really having a hard time with doing this for, and that there really opens up a conversation to strengthen the relationship. But like you said, that there's an accountability, we're not letting it slide, but we are trying to understand why it happened so we can solve for the heart of the issue. Yeah. But what is your perspective on the importance of lived experience for, for the coach as it relates to those relationships sometimes maybe in being able to share some of it but otherwise in just having had a variety of experiences and being able to to kind of contextualize the challenges that leaders may be going through even if they're not exactly the same as the things that you've done or or do you believe it's not as important I think that the kind of coaching that you're offering is vital for fluency. So at Meadowworks, it's very clear. We don't do strategic coaching. We don't do organizational coaching. Yes, our coaches are familiar with that. But what we do is we help you understand your inner world so that you can show up and orient to your relationships in the context of your professional environment. We are deeply fluent in that. We have extensive training on the inner world in many different capacities. And so what I think is important is that we are experts in our field. If I have not been a CEO of a $200 million organization, I'm not worried about that because I'm not coaching the CEO about their $200 million organization. I'm coaching him or her on how to show up within that organization how to understand how are they getting in their own way in leveraging their team effectively. And so I think it's really important to be clear on the kind of coaching you're offering so that you can be the expert in the field of that. Yeah, and, uh, and that's helpful too, right? To the, the leader who may be seeking coach and figuring out what am I looking for? 
what yes. how, how how do I find the person who's going to be able to help me with what I want do it does it need to be somebody whose resume looks like mine except five mm-hmm. years down the road or do I need somebody who can has certain expertise in other areas you know and again and there's a, a variety out there right and when I think of the lived experience point I think of essentially people who maybe went directly into coaching from like that was their first and exclusive career and they may have a lot of skills and and experience in it but there also may be something that is not that some context and perspective that can't be there because of but nowadays has somebody ever worked in an office or not (laughs) things like that that just you have a little bit of an idea of what those dynamics are and those politics or different types of organizations or things that color how we understand when somebody's describing to us what they're going through and we just have sort of a reference point for it doesn't necessarily mean it was me that was in that position but I was in the room or I know somebody else or I have this thing and and also sometimes it's like that's part of opening up uh, a leader who is struggling with having the appropriate maybe level of introspection or vulnerability is I have an example of something I struggled with that was very similar to this right all those different things I mean we, we certainly know that part of of becoming highly effective as a leader is the willingness to grapple with that and to to really be open to whatever insights come and yeah and I think you need different coaches at different times you talked about someone making a decision a career decision Mm -hmm. versus I had a CEO who had been working with a coach exactly on that on the strategy of his company and then he was shouting he's like my company's good I'm worried about me I'm I'm tapped out to the max. I don't, I'm saying yes to my people when I shouldn't be. I need your help with that. And so I think it's all about the context of what you need in the moment because that will change too. And what's amazing about this world is there are so many people in it to help you with your different needs over the course of your career. Yeah. So Rachel, the last thing I, I wanted to ask you about, and it's featured in the book marketing, I think it's even on your LinkedIn editor, but but it's this idea, work is where your demons go to hide. And I kind of wanted to wrap up on that. It, I'm sure it's going to tie into a lot of what we've already discussed, but what do you mean by that? And and why is that important for our listeners to think about? I love the phrase because these days people are really aware of therapy for their personal life and they're working on themselves and their relationships. And people don't think of their professional world the same way. And so it doesn't always occur to them that what's happening in their personal life actually often translates and shows up in their professional life, but they're not looking for it. So a great example is that CEO I just told you about who reached out and said, I'm saying yes too much and I can't handle it anymore. His demons of over-accommodating just nestled themselves into a CEO role and hung out there because you know what? Money was on the line. He kept making money. He built a beautiful company from doing that. And so why would he look and examine those closely until it was too late? And here he is burnt out and needing help and looking at that. 
which is funny because that's a place he's been working on in his personal life with his partner. And so it's, it's so important that we start to cultivate an awareness of, oh, we allow our demons that have taken such good care of us as our survival mechanisms to flourish in our professional life unexamined because sometimes they serve us. It's like checking those box or is so much more soothing than trying to have a difficult interpersonal conversation. And so we just return to checking the boxes. And that might be one of our demons, which is, ooh, just my list of things to do is so soothing to me. I'm going to do that first. And so it's so important that we examine what are, what are we doing in our professional lives that's actually getting in the way for us now that no longer serves us, but did take care of us for a very long time. And so the thing that we then need to do is not to throw those demons away, but to give them an education. Hey, you don't need to do that any longer, or we can do it differently, that we keep those things that used to work for us close to us, but maybe give them an updated education. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And it, I mean, it also makes me think about core values and, and conversations I often have with people around identifying their core values, but also saying like misapplied, they can work against you. You know, one of the good things about really being solid in your values is that you can, at least in your own view and, and awareness of your atmosphere, hold your organization accountable for having values that align with yours. But if you're living them one-sided, you may be putting yourself constantly at a disadvantage and you may be in the wrong place because it can serve you really well, but also sometimes you're even misdefining your own your own values or what you mean by it or what it's supposed to look like then sounds very similar that there's a reason and yet we find out oh it's it's what i'm doing with it though is really not helping right now or not helping anymore yeah. Rachel, what, where can listeners learn more about your work? We'll put the link to the book below on Amazon, but is there anywhere else you'd like to direct them? Yeah, you can find us on our website, metaworks, M-E-T-T-A-W-O-R-K-S dot I-O. And you can look for me and metaworks on LinkedIn, as well as Instagram. Instagram is at meta.works. Excellent. We'll put those links below, links to metaworks.io and LinkedIn and everything, and certainly the book. The book, once again, listeners, is Who You Are is How You Lead. And please do check that out. Please also subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews like this one and visit thepodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Rachel Ryder, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having This has been The Authority Podcast, hosted by Ross Romano, edited by Gage Sanderson. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.